so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going, because the darkness has blinded them. Thank you, Emily. Um, we're going to have a longer time of prayer later when we'll pray uh, together, but let's just come before God now and ask him for his help. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much uh, for your word, and thank you for the way it is bearing fruit all over the world. Thank you so much for Paula and all the work that she's doing in Central Asia and the many partners in the gospel that she has there, those oaks of righteousness for a display of your splendor. And we pray that for ourselves as we look at 1 John today. Please will you open up to us the truth of what's here and may your spirit take uh, what is there in truth and may it be as life to us as we read it and understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you didn't have a chance to look up the reading there, if you've got a Bible on your phone or you've got a paper Bible, you might want to do that, just so I'm going to go through it bit by bit. Uh, so you might get lost if you don't do that. Um, I'll do my best. Stay with, stay with me. And uh, this is the time of year when at church we have lots of people who are just leaving school. Maybe that's you uh, here today. Just a few months ago you were in school, or as it happens, not in school. Uh, looking at a screen at home. And uh, it makes me feel wistful for my school days. I was thinking this week about Friday afternoon poetry um, with Miss Gibson staring out the window, not really listening. But this bit of the Bible that we looked at today also took me back there to a poem. I mean, I'm not vastly into poetry, but a poet that I had to study at school. This guy called Philip Larkin, and he was extremely cynical about Christianity but I think he understood a lot about the way that people work. And he wrote a poem about going to visit a Christian service where there was a faith healer. Now, obviously, his view of the faith healer was total cynicism, total disbelief. It was in his view, it was this old person preying on vulnerable women. But the thing that he noticed, the thing that he was trying to get at is why do people find it so emotional experiencing this. And he said this, we should come up on the screen. He said this about people getting emotional when they experience this faith healer. In everyone there sleeps a sense of life lived according to love. To some it means the difference they could make by loving others, but across most it sweeps as all they might have done had they been loved. That 
nothing cures. An immense slackening ache. Now you see what he's saying there, it's poetic language. What he's saying is, you come face to face with the feeling that you're loved, and this huge wave of regret wells up in you, thinking, if only I'd been loved properly. Think of what I could have done, what I could have been, what I could have been like. Maybe you feel that about your life as you reflect on it. Maybe you're longing for a particular type of relationship or you're in a relationship and you're longing that it would be better than it is. Maybe you think back to people who've let you down and you feel like he observes. If only I'd been loved well, how could I have been transformed? And even thinking about that, you feel what he describes, that immense ache of all that's past. Well, speaking of depressing literature, one more to talk to you about. I just think, think of a happy poem or book for next week. Uh, this book is also a uh, depressing read. I've been reading it uh, recently. Shuggy Bean. It's the story of a boy with an alcoholic mother. So as you can tell, it's not going to be full of laughs. And um, it's really amazingly written book about this boy who really does love his mum with this pure, childlike love. He gives his life to help her. But in the end, even that can't save her from the power of her addiction. If you like novels, it's a really, really brilliantly written book. So Philip Larkin is saying, I think he's right, we have this sense, if we're just loved well, things could be different. But Douglas Stewart and Chuggy Bean is saying, yeah, but human love never gets you there. No human can love you that well that will actually change who you are as a person. And maybe that's your experience. You have anger or bitterness because of the way you wish you'd been loved. But the truth is, I think the Shaggy Bain author is right, that even if you had been loved that way, you'd still find you're the same person with the same problems as now. But here is what John is saying in this letter to a young church. He's saying this. The sheer overwhelming love of God will transform you. It is enough to do that. The love that is there when God entered history as a human person, the love that means Jesus always stands welcoming you to come to God, the love that means Jesus has taken every little last punishment for anything you have done wrong, that love is transforming to life. Now, it's important to John because this could sound like airy-fairy spiritual stuff, couldn't it? It's like, oh, well, God will love you and that will sort you out and feels unreal. But John's point through the letter so far is like, it's not an airy-fairy spiritual unreal thing. Jesus became a human person in history. And he uses these words at the start of the passage. Jesus is an advocate. He's always calling us to know God. And Jesus is atoning. That is whatever it is you think you've done wrong. Jesus has already paid for it. That love of God is open to you because of him. Both writers are right. We could be different if we're really loved. But no human being can love us well enough to change us. But John says, being loved by the real Jesus of history will change you. Now, one of the things we need to realize is going on in 1 John is that, I hope it's not uh, blasphemous to say this, but as a letter, it's a little bit passive-aggressive. 
uh, 1 John, because he's consistently talking to the people he's writing to and making a hint about some people that they know. You know, it's like passive aggression. Do you know when people do that? So people are like, you know, you get a lot at the moment, don't you? You're standing at the supermarket looking at the peppers or whatever, and the person near you doesn't have a mask on, and your, say, for example, wife uh, says to you, I hate it when people don't wear masks in the supermarket. And you're like, shh, it's passive aggression, isn't it? Well, John is a little bit like that. It feels like he's writing, I mean, he is writing to this group of people, but in the background of the letters, there's this other shadowy group of people who are saying wrong things about Jesus to this church. So we always need to look out to see what might John might be saying about then. And the thing that he's really having a go at is a group of people who seem to be saying, it doesn't matter if this doesn't transform your life, you just need to like sign up to knowing that it's true. But it doesn't matter if it doesn't transform you. And John's always got those people in mind to say, no, that's really not right. Being loved like this will always transform you. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a life-transforming thing. How could it not be, John is saying, if you're loved this way? So first thing that we see is communion brings transformation. Uh, now, we've seen in John, there's this amazing picture uh, that God and his son, who he loves, they've always existed, and they've always loved each other perfectly. And through Jesus, God's eternal son, becoming human, you, human beings, as we all are, are welcomed into that same life that God has, father and son loving each other. He calls that eternal life. And if you're someone who thinks, oh, I'm not really sure that can be for me, He's been really sort of going on, saying, no, Jesus advocates, he calls you in. Jesus atones, he's taken everything away that could be wrong. God wants to draw you into this eternal love he's had with his son. And so he says in verse 3, we know that we have come to know him. And he loves that phrase, John. We know him. We, and he doesn't just mean like we know about him. He means we've been drawn into the perfect life of God, this endless, eternal love. We're drawn into that. Well, I think the Christians here were asking, well, that seems like a big thing to have happened. <laughs> you know, being drawn into God's eternal life. It's like big deal. How do I know if that's really happened to me? It's uh, knowledge. And these False teachers, these wrong people are saying, well, don't worry about that. It's just if you accept the facts, you're probably okay. But he, John's knowledge of God he's offering to us, it's not like the knowledge I have of like, you know, Boris Johnson or, uh, you know, Chris Whitty. The people you see and you think, oh, I know about that person. The knowledge he's offering us with God is this deep communion, this deep indwelling that God the Father has with his Son that's what's being offered to us when he says we know God. And he says, you'll know if that's happened to you, because in verse 3, you will keep his commands. So if you're drawn into that Jesus-like fellowship with the real God, you will just begin obeying what he says. And he says, if you have that knowledge, but you don't know, you say you know, you say you know God, but that doesn't make any difference to you. He just says, you're a liar which is like quite confrontational language. You're just lying about it. And his view is, how could you have that type of knowledge? How could you be loved with that type of love and not be changed? I love the way he says, 
in verse 5. When we do obey, therefore, when we're drawn in to know this love of God and we obey, our love for God reaches completion. What happens to you is knowing God sort of awakens love in you and that's completed, that fulfills its purpose when you act on it, when you do something. Maybe you've experienced that in a friendship before. You know, someone is just incredibly kind to you. They welcome you into a friendship. And that's quite transforming for you. It awakens care about what they care about to you. You know, um, in our staff team at the moment, I've said this before, we have interns who are very into gaming, which is a total sort of mystery to me. But I'm learning so much from the interns about all of this. It's definitely making me feel the generational divide. And, um, you know, but I like them. They're nice people to work with. Why is that funny? It's really, honestly, it's true. <laughs> people have met the interns and are like, mm, is that really? Can that be right? No, really, it's true. And uh, it awakens in me an interest in the things that they're interested in. And wow, I'm learning so much. There's a whole world out there, people, you don't know anything about. And it's saying that happens when you come to know the Lord. If you live in him, if you have that deep, real connection with the God who made everything, you will begin to have awakened in you a life like his son, Jesus. You know, you are given Jesus' connection to God the Father. It will awaken in you Jesus' character. Now, there's lots to say about that. Just remember, it's the passive aggression thing. He's aiming at a particular brand of non-Christianity, which is basically still around today where people say, just come as you are to know God and just stay as you are. God will accept you the way that you are, so just come and he'll love you and stay the way that you are. And John's like, how could that be true? How could be being included in the eternal life of God not change you some way? And he talks throughout the letter of people who went out, they probably went out to share the gospel. They were trying to draw other people in. And they basically thought this bit about a transformed life, it's a bit difficult. So we won't pass that on. And they ended up saying something totally different about what it's like to know God. Because they're like, oh, it's a bit intense. And John's like, but God um, is this loving father of his son and knowing him like that will change you. Of course it, of course it will. But I think um, as you re read these verses, you heard them read, the most common Christian reaction to this is, I don't know, like panic. You know, this is how we know we are, we li we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And Jesus, quite important article of our faith, that he was perfect. Now, we just need to work that out. Clearly, he's not saying you have to become like Jesus in every single way. Because for some of us, growing a beard would be tricky. Um, you know, you don't have to wear sandals. So you can't be saying you become every single way like Jesus. No, I think he's saying to walk like Jesus is to walk in this life-transforming communion, father-son relationship with God that Jesus has. That can't be perfection, because just a few verses before he said, if you claim to be perfect, you're a liar. Again, that word. So he can't be saying you have to live perfectly, because he's just said before, if you say you're perfect, you're just lying. He's just saying the offer of Christianity is to enter Jesus' own relationship with God the Father. Loving obedience to a Father who loves you. 
to live in him, to walk in that relationship with Jesus. And John is saying, how could that not be life transforming? Don't listen to anybody who tells you it won't transform your life. Of course it will. To be brought in to know God, the way Jesus knows God, will change everything. Um, once, years ago, I went to speak on a weekend away for some students. And I remember chatting to someone who actually said this very thing that John, I think, is having a go at. They sort of said, oh yeah, I've been brought up a Christian and I know God and stuff like that, but it just doesn't really affect my life. And, you know, it's just something that helps me when I'm in trouble. But I still go to church. Like, you know, I think probably not as gently as I should have, to be honest. I mean, I didn't quite say, no, that's completely wrong. But I think I more or less said that. Probably should have been more sensitive. I was young. And I sort of tried to say, I don't think that can be right. I think it's a life-transforming thing when you come to know God this way through Jesus. And he calls you in, he pays for your sin. It just changes you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but someone in my family is a church minister and they say that I'm all right. You see, the very thing that John says is going on is still going on. But our sense is right. Being perfectly loved would change you, does change you. Communing with God the way Jesus, his son, does will not leave you unchanged. Here's the second thing we see. Next few verses. Love is old and new. So it was Jesus who said in John's gospel, John's book about Jesus' life, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, I think if I'd been there, maybe I wouldn't have been because I would have been too intimidated by Jesus, but I think I would have been like the person in this picture, putting up my hand, saying, Jesus, know the way that you've said that's a new command. Feels a bit cheeky. That command is actually in the Old Testament. It's there all the way through. This is a bit of like copyright infringement. You know, a new command. Moses might have something to say about that. I don't think you can trademark that, Jesus, love one another. And as uh, no one did pipe up on that occasion in John, probably rightly so, everyone who's compared religion since Jesus was about um, will tell you that all religions, well, not all, lots of religions say it's a good moral thing to do to love other people. Seems to be on the surface of many religious teachings. So where does Jesus sort of get off saying, guys, I've got something really new to tell you. Love one another. Well, I think Jesus does that because his view is that he has redefined love. John will say more about that later in his letter. It's a bit like that, his letter. He sort of goes round in circles. So if you're like someone who... Um, I'm a bit like this, you're talking and then you forget what you were talking about and then you come back to it later. Your loved one, John, it's exactly like that. He's going to come back to this later. But Jesus redefines love where he says love is not just kindness to others. It is carrying the burden of other people's wrong behavior. And John says Jesus does that for us. Jesus died for us in our place, taking the burden of our wrong behavior. That is what love is, John says. And so when he says it's a new command to love one another, what he's saying is the community you form becomes a community not just where you're nice to each other, but where you carry the burden of things that other people get wrong. That's new. Now in a sense, it's old. Because who doesn't know that loving people is a good thing to do? But in a sense, it's new 
because Jesus redefines it and you'll always find new ways to do it. And that's what John is talking about in verse 7. He says, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. And then he says in verse 8, yet I am writing to you a new command. It's like make up your mind. But it's both. A command that's always been there and a command that's redefined by Jesus. And here's another way it's new. If you come into a church community, certainly if you come into our church community, and I guess there's people here wondering if they should do that today, you will constantly find new ways that you need to love other people in this way, in the Jesus way, of like carrying the stuff that we get wrong. That is what it's going to have to be here. That is your calling here. I mean, I love the people in this church. We're going to talk about them more in a minute. But we get a lot of things wrong. And there are people in our church family who are really messed up because of wrong things done to them. And we don't back off each other because of that. We don't hide from each other because of that. We don't cut out awkward people because of that. We carry the weight of that for others. That's all of our job. And so the command to love each other like Jesus, it's always new because every new person you meet, there's going to be a new way to love like Jesus. Some people need from you a hug. Some people need a kind word. Some people need practical help to get something done. Every story brought here is different. But the, so the command to love one another, it's old. It's always new. And I love what John says. He says the truth of this command is seen in him and you. What an amazing thing to say. The truth of that new commandment to love the way Jesus loves, it's obviously seen in him. He dies in our place to save us. But amazingly, it's seen in us when we love that way. It's quite a remarkable claim. John is saying the light that I met in Jesus, the person who I remember I saw and heard and touched and listened to, that light I also see in you this little faithful church, he's saying to them. The reason the truth is seen, he says, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Jesus began a movement of light and every time people who trust him love that way, the light that is dawning in the world through Jesus gets a little bit brighter. I um, have a good friend in church over the years who for a while worked in business and they did everything that Christians are supposed to do in a workplace to show they're Christians like all the little tips we share at church like make cups of tea for people and drop into conversation oh I was at church yesterday and um, you know put a rainbow sticker on your desk I mean I don't think they did do that uh, give out bible verses to people pray for people all of those things they wanted to share their faith in their work and they were always sort of like seriously nobody is biting here I go to every social and talk about what I believe and no one is interested and that is sad how it is well aside from that in their life the church they were in had a group of people join who were seeking asylum in the UK and not at all thinking about his workplace, he offered one of those people in his church somewhere to live. Someone in his church family, he loved them well in this sacrificial way. He followed the old command to love people and he loved the new command because it wasn't his responsibility that this person had nowhere to live, but he still took the burden of that on himself. And he happened to mention that in passing in his workplace, not really thinking 
anything of it. And suddenly, his office was alight with interest in the Christian faith. What on earth would make you extend this type of hospitality to someone you don't even know from a culture that is alien to you? What would make you do that? He was like, oh, uh, well, I uh, guess it's because it's the way that I've been loved by God. It's the way that Jesus loves us, I guess. I believe God is gathering people from every nation to know him. Suddenly in the dark place, the light's shining. Suddenly in that dark place, the true light that comes from Jesus is there too. Why? Because he loved, sacrificially. Not in a calculated way, if I do this, I will get to talk about my faith. He just did it. And the darkness is pushed back further. Joining the fellowship, the communion, the community where we trust Jesus, we take that old command and you're going to find constantly new calls of ways to obey it. Big calls like the ones I've just talked about and small ones. But every time we do, the light dawning in Jesus gets a bit brighter. You know, one of the things that most often, sort of when you're chatting to church about people, is that people sort of say, well, I didn't go to this, or I didn't come to, your, to that church, or I went to that church, and I've moved to your church, because I wasn't getting much out of it. And I think John is challenging that. He's saying, push back the self-centered darkness a little bit, and love the people that are in front of you. And who knows what light will dawn? Attending church is a complex issue at the moment. I'm very aware there's some people watching at home. Hello, people watching at home. Uh, if it's not safe for you to come to church in COVID times, please don't come. No pressure there. But I think anybody who spends any time connecting with our church family here or in any numbers of ways are going to find it's full of people who get things wrong, who are different to you, who maybe even do things to upset you. And you can choose, because of the way you've been loved by God, to bear with the cost of their mistakes. And in that way, the bright light that Jesus shines in history is pushing back the darkness a little bit more every time. Maybe for us, the strongest thing we feel about other Christians is that basically we can't be bothered with them. It's not like we dislike them. It's just they make me feel uncomfortable and they're an extra irritation I'm too busy for. But the truth of Jesus is pushing back the darkness and putting that feeling to death and loving the way we have been loved, God's love transforming us, that's the way light comes to the church and to the world. And remember, he's aiming at people who are out there saying there's really no need to be transformed like that. It's all a bit too much hard work. Now, third week in a row, because people I think are coming to expect, and I'm going to talk about Married at First Sight, which is a TV program I've been watching at home. I just want to underline again, it's not an advert for marriage. I don't agree with anything that it teaches, etc. It's just good for sermon illustrations. Um, and there's someone in Married First, First Sight who basically sort of says, I'm a very spiritual person, and what she means is like she's all into crystals and stuff like that. But what she says is, well, spirituality is just a very individual thing. You just find your own way of doing it, and then you practice it that way. It doesn't really need to affect other people who are in your life. And John is like, that is wrong. That is a corrupted version of Christianity, that you drift in and out and find what's helpful for you. 
And sometimes Christians do that, and even they sort of spiritualize it. Oh, I prayed about it, and God really seems to be guiding me to not love other Christians at the moment. It's just not how it works, he, he says. The oldest command is calling us of new ways of embodying the love Jesus has for us. That is the way we join in with the light of Jesus that is already shining. I... Uh, I've been leading this church for a little while or helping to lead it with some other people. And I do want to say to this church, as John said to this church, the truth of this command is seen in him and you. It's my privilege because of my bird's eye view that I get, I guess, to know that here in this church family, there are so many amazing ways that this is happening all the time little small corners, many, many people living in this Jesus-like way, picking up the pain and the mistakes and the sins of others and helping others as they carry those, walking in Jesus-like love that says, that's not my responsibility, but I want to look after you. And as John said to this church, I can say, I think, to Christchurch Liverpool, the truth of this old and new command is seen in him and you, this church family is definitely a light to me when I'm struggling with my own impatience or frustration or desire to control. And if you're here looking for a church, well, welcome. We may or may not be the church for you. You can work that out. I just want to be clear. We're definitely not promising sort of like, uh, what's the way to put it? Sort of like smooth production values <laughs> here every week. It's sort of, you know, chaos in a good way. Um, I think though, if you get to know the people in our church family, you will find people shining the light of love the way the Father loves the Son, echoing that back to you in practical, real ways, pushing back the darkness. And if that is you, people in this church, thank you for shining the light to me. Third thing John says, and it almost goes without saying, he says this, hating isn't done here. Hate doesn't belong here. So he's very uh, sort of um, sort of goes for it again and says, if you claim to be in the light of, that is dawned with Jesus, but you're still hating someone else who's a Christian, you are lying. But anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There's nothing to make them stumble. I think that's a sort of two-pronged thing. He's saying an enlightened person, a person who knows the truth, always loves their Christian brothers and sisters. Remember the false teachers seem to be saying, you don't need to bother with that, you just need to build up some knowledge. He's like, no, that knowledge always makes you love brothers and sisters. But I think walking in the light is also saying you walk in some openness. You're not hiding, you confess your sin, you have integrity. And if you walk that way, then you won't cause other people to stumble. You know, a lot of trouble, a lot of stumbling in Christian life is caused by other Christians not loving people enough to live in the light, to tell the truth about themselves. They hide bad things for a long time and then in the end it all explodes and a whole lot of people are caused to stumble. And John's saying, well, don't do that. If you're loved this way, you can walk in the light and you won't cause anybody else to trip up. If you love your brother and sister, live in the light. That's kind of different talk for a different day. It will be good for you to open up about the things you struggle with, but John actually changes that and says, be loving for everyone else to not have unexploded bombs. 
of a scandal wandering around. Let it out. But the circular manner, he said that before, it shouldn't distract us from the new thing here. It says you can't be in God's light, enlightened person, know the truth about God, drawn into knowing God, and hate other people. Now, I think that's a strange thing in our culture because I think very few people I know would say they hate someone. Certainly they wouldn't say it. And if they do say it, they mean it in jest. They don't actually mean like, I'm plotting bad things for that people and I wish the worst for them. Although as I get older, it's more common than I thought. As I just chat to people in life, I discover that in families, there's often these huge ongoing vendettas and family breakdowns that have led to really bad relationships. You know, not just removed so I can be safe, but actually this sort of like, we don't like the way that side of the family behave and so we don't speak to them. That seems to be, I keep discovering, lots of people do that. The thing that he's saying here is in church life, you can't hate other people here. Well, you can, I mean, ontologically speaking, it must be possible. But you're not an enlightened person to the truth if you hate other people. And in fact, he says, you'll be totally messed up and you'll make terrible decisions generally if you hate people. It's unusual for someone to bring that they hate other people into the light, but we will be able to observe it if you're a hater because it will come out in making terrible decisions all sorts of other ways. I don't know whether you've ever felt that deep, deep resentment, wanting bad for someone else. If you have, you'll know it infects every bit of your life. All your decisions become tainted by that. And that's what John is saying. If you're nursing hate and you don't want to be in a community, it might come out. You're going to stumble around in the dark, not making any good decisions. Now, as I said, I don't think there's many people saying hate is okay, but beware any version of Christianity that says holding on to feelings of hate for people is normal, is okay. It will always mess you up. And it says something bad about where you are. And it isn't actually that unusual for someone who considers themselves highly spiritual, uses spiritual highfalutin language, who knows the Bible well, to in secret be doing stuff that really hurts and disregards and crushes other people. And John is like, people who do that, it's fine to say they must be lying. If you find yourself nursing hatred, be very careful. But definitely don't listen to anyone who tells you this constant remaking of the love of the Father for his Son can change your life. Let's go back to where we started. What could I have been if I was really loved? What's possible if I was perfectly, truly loved? Well, only you can answer that. If you really know the eternal life of the Son, of, of, God's, of God the Father to his Son overflowing into you, what could you be? What light could you bring by humbly and gently loving the way you've been loved? What relationship could be transformed? Don't listen to siren voices saying, you don't need to be transformed. Let Jesus, our advocate, call you into God's presence 
to be known that way. Let Jesus, our atonement, say to you, listen, nothing is so bad about you that God can't bring you in and help you where you are. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, so much. Just as we, we all sit in this room and none of us really have any idea what other people here are having to carry the burdens of other people's sin. Some people I'm sure here are carrying very, very heavy things. We thank you that you love us enough to transform us. And we confess to you, we just find it hard with everything that's going on to really get that sense of Jesus advocating for us and atoning us and really experiencing the transformation of knowing God. We ask for the work of your spirit. We pray for your help.